0: It's good to see you here. And this is why. Because I love you. You were made in the image of God. That is, he formed you and he fashioned you exactly who he wanted you to be. And it's good to see you here because when we come here on Sunday mornings, we gather together to worship our creator, the one who made us. We get to tell him, thank you. We get to tell him, praise you. We get to tell him, we love you. But more so than seeing you here today, I want to see you in eternity. That is, I want you to be in the presence of God with me and with everybody else. And listen, this this goes this far for me. I would love for every single person who has ever been created to spend eternity in paradise with their creator and with each other. Wouldn't that be awesome? Here's the reality we have to deal with. There is not only a place called heaven that is a real paradise. Where God awaits those who have believed in Christ. But there is also a place we refer to as hell, a real place of punishment where eternal death awaits those who are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a tough reality. It's hard to swallow, and it's really impossible to imagine. As I've spoken to you from Scripture about heaven these past couple of weeks, I hope that you've kind of come to the point where you realize heaven is far too great for us to comprehend or describe this side of it. That is, when we get there, we'll be so awestruck by God's glory and by this eternal dwelling place with Him that to describe it with human words, in a human perspective, before we get there, simply just can't do it justice. And then at the same time, hell is really that bad. Like it's, it's so awful that you could not possibly imagine the horrors and torments that await those who have not to faith in Jesus Christ. And I wish it wasn't the case. I mean, I I genuinely wish I could stand up behind this pulpit today and say, man, guys, guess what? God loves you, and he does, no matter what, but he loves you, and he's decided that nobody's going to have to spend eternity in hell. I'd love to be able to tell you that, but I can't. It's not because I don't want to, it's because Jesus doesn't say that everybody is going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And hear me out. I trust Jesus' words a whole lot more than my own emotions. So heaven and hell are realities. And Jesus talked about them. Turn to Luke chapter 16 with me if you would. Verses 19 through 31. Jesus... Tells a story. I call this heaven and hell. We'll talk about it a little more as we go on. Verse 19 of Luke chapter 16. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man, named Lazarus, was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and long with crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he, that is the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And Lazarus, send him so that he may dip the tongue dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony." And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Father God, I pray that you bless our time together this morning as we study your word. Give us understanding. Help us to see you as a good God, holy in character, perfect in justice. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a few things when you... Read through this passage that you might be tempted to say that the text itself does not explicitly say. It's hard, at least for me, to read these verses with fresh eyes and fresh ears because I have my own preconceived notions both of what Jesus is talking about and of the afterlife itself, heaven and hell. So let me just mention a few things as we get going here into this text that might be of interest to you. The first is this. These verses do not have to be read as a parable. That is, Jesus would often tell parables, stories, if you've heard the little definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning before, or you could even call it a heavenly story with an earthly meaning if you wanted to, Jesus would take something that people knew and recognized and then talk to them about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven with parables. In fact, he did so earlier in Luke chapter 16 towards the beginning of the chapter with the parable of the unrighteous steward. Jesus would take just an example, an illustration, an analogy, sometimes something even hypothetical or not so much hypothetical as just a, non-concrete example to help them understand. But here in verse 19, Jesus doesn't start sharing his teaching in the same way that he does parables elsewhere in Luke. He doesn't say, now suppose there was a rich man, let's pretend that this was the case, or this and this happened. He says there was a rich man identifying a rich man. But also, he doesn't identify a rich man, he, he identifies a poor man. And whereas the rich man remains nameless throughout the story, the poor man has a name Lazarus. This isn't the same Lazarus in John chapter 11 that was friends with Jesus and brother of Mary and Martha that died, and Jesus raised back to life but this Lazarus we come to understand a very real person in fact he and the rich man are no less real than Abraham the patriarch of the Jewish nation who lived long ago and who also appears in this story rather than just being a parable that Jesus told to help people understand this seems to be a real life or real eternal example. There's something else interesting in this passage. Heaven itself, that word, does not occur anywhere in these verses. Did you know that? Nowhere. A lot of preachers talk about heaven from this passage. I think it's okay to do so, we'll talk about why in just a few minutes. But heaven doesn't occur. Which also needs to help us realize that probably all of our preconceived notions, what we think about heaven that isn't in the Bible, need to be thrown away so that we can understand what Jesus is talking about. Here's something else that's interesting about this passage. In the New American Standard Bible that I've read from you this morning, read from to you this morning, I'll get it right eventually. The word hell does not occur in these verses. In fact, in verse twenty-three, the word Hades is used. Now, some of your translations, your English translations, would use the word hell, but Hades is the word that's used in the New Testament and throughout Greek culture in this time to refer to the realm of the dead. In fact, the Hebrews had a somewhat of an equivalent to it in the Old Testament. They called it Sheol. That is the realm where people who have died go when they depart this earth. It's oftentimes translated throughout literature as the grave or the dead, the realm of the dead. I think that it's okay to refer to this Hades here in these verses as hell. I'll talk about why in just a few moments. But you need to understand something. Any idea that you have about hell that's not biblical needs to be thrown out. In order to understand what Jesus is talking about. So with these ideas in mind, let's explore the text a little bit. What we find out at the, the main point of these verses and the main point of Jesus' teaching here is that eternal or earthly riches do not equal eternal reward. Okay? Earthly riches do not equal eternal reward. You need to understand that. Jesus has been talking beforehand to the Pharisees. In fact, if you back up to verse 14 in Luke chapter 16, the same chapter, Jesus is talking to these people and Luke describes the Pharisees as lovers of money. We know a lot of things about the Pharisees, but you might not have known that they were also lovers of money. Now, here's what else we find out about these Pharisees. They were listening to all the things that Jesus was telling them. They were hearing them with their ears. But they were also scoffing at what he was teaching. Partly because in verse 13, Jesus says, no man can have two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Yet, what were the Pharisees trying to do? Serve God and wealth. So, the only response that you could give as a Pharisee to Jesus' teaching is either repentance or rejection. Pharisees didn't want to give up their money, so what do they do? Just reject what Jesus is saying. But they didn't want to get into a theological debate with Jesus. They tried that many times before, and every time they lost. It's kind of embarrassing for them. So the easier way to handle it was to laugh at, to scoff, to make fun of what Jesus was teaching. (laughs) You really think so? In fact, comedy is a really easy way to justify your actions or to get out of a painful situation, isn't it? You ever watched a movie before that's really intense and has all these uh, dramatic characters in it as relationships develop and different actions take place, and they're usually a person or two in the movie to provide something called comic relief, just to take the edge off of the emotion so it's not too heavy for you to bear? This is kind of what the Pharisees start to do with Jesus' teaching. Let's just laugh him off. We don't want to get into a debate with him. We're going to lose. So let's just scoff at him. But Jesus didn't really feel upset at their scoffing in so much that it made him change his mind or change his teaching. Rather, the thing that he, he's upset about is that the Pharisees still don't seem to understand that no matter how they deal with his teaching, what he's teaching is the truth. I think that his heart ached for these people. Just like it did for the woman at the well that he talked to in John chapter 4. Just like it did for the tax collector named Zacchaeus. Just like it had for one of their other Pharisaical brothers named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But it was like their hearts were so hardened and their minds so thick, their heads screwed on so crooked that no matter how much Jesus taught them, no matter how much he loved them, or no matter how hard he loved them with difficult truths, it just wasn't getting through. They didn't want to deal with what Jesus was talking about. And so it's really to this group of people, the Pharisees, that this story is told. Here's what's so interesting about the Pharisees. Everyone in this day and time thought, man, if anybody's going to heaven, you know who it is? The Pharisees. So just stop and think about this for a minute. If anybody in our day and time thinks, well, this person's got to be going to heaven, who's it going to be? A good old church-going Southern Baptist, right? We do. we, We have that notion. We have that understanding in our hearts and in our minds. But I wonder if, like the Pharisees, we're trying to serve God and money, God and reputation, God and pleasantries, God and comfort, God and this, God and that. And Jesus is hurting the whole time saying, it doesn't work like that. Now you might get this idea upon reading this text and seeing the context in which Jesus has shared this story that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. But that's a false notion too. I need you to understand in this specific case the rich man went to a place of punishment and the poor man went to a place of paradise. But it wasn't because they were rich or poor, that they ended up in these places. It was because the rich man loved his riches and not the Lord that he ended up separated from God. And it was because the poor man didn't just have pity from God because he was poor and had nothing. It was because he had a love for God in his heart that he experienced paradise. So if it's true that earthly riches do not equal eternal reward, how do we live in expectation of the afterlife? Because the other notion in this day and time was that the super-religious holy people, a.k.a. Pharisees, were going to heaven because, well, they were godly people. The other idea was that all of these folks who have money and they eat nice food every day and they have nice clothes to wear and they live in nice houses, man, God must love those people. Those people got to be going to heaven. But those things were not true. In fact, I would dare say that much the same thing may be true in, in our day and time, not just in a religious sense when we think the good old Southern Baptists are going to heaven, you can add another denomination or church in there if you want to. But also this idea that, well, we, we live in the greatest nation on earth. And we we live in the Bible belt of this country. I mean, surely, all of us are going to experience blessing and peace and life and the life to come, right? But Jesus told this story Really not just telling a story, but using a real example to debunk the myths that we hold in our heart. That is that these certain people get to experience paradise and these certain people don't. Because after all, it wasn't the rich man with whom the Pharisees would have identified because they were rich. That went Abraham's bosom to paradise, it was the poor man. The man that didn't have enough money to keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament, the man that was a sinner, the man that was without, the man that was placed on a person's doorstep because nobody else wanted to deal with him. That was the guy who got to go to paradise. So let's just think about these two fellows for a minute. You want to? the rich man and the poor man. We find out about this rich man, and by the way, rich is a, is a relative term, right? I mean, in this room, there are people who are rich comparatively, right? There are folks who have more money, who have more wealth, who own more property, who have more personal possessions of earthly value than other folks in this room. Everybody agree on that? I mean, it's not right or wrong, it's just fact of life. But... If all of the sudden, the 10 wealthiest people came into this room, all of you who once were rich would now look like poor Arkansans, right? And there are some of you in this room who who are poor. You don't have as much as so-and-so in town. You don't have this. You don't own that. There's not a lot in your bank account. You don't have the best paying job in the world. You're poor. I mean, relatively speaking, some of you don't have as much as others in this room. Do you guys agree? I mean, it's not good or bad, it's just the facts of life. But what if we brought in some folks who are not the richest people in the world, they were the poorest of the poor. In fact, the majority of the world lives on less than $2 a day. So let's just say that we brought in some of these folks who live on less than $2 a day everything. No government assistance, no support, no extra food, no clothes, no buses to take their kids to school, no schools to speak of. What if we brought some of those folks in here? All of a sudden, you who once looked poor would now look like wealthy Americans, right? So understand that these terms are comparative terms. They're relative But also understand in this story, you got a rich guy and a poor guy. And this rich guy is described in this way he habitually dressed in purple. Purple was the most precious colored cloth in the day. It took a lot to dye a garment purple. Because of that, kings wore it as a royal robe many times. It was meant to be placed on the finest of people in the finest of circumstances. But then also this man didn't just have on purple, pricely garment, but he also wore fine linen. This linen would have been put together so that it wasn't pieced and parted and wouldn't be torn and wouldn't come unraveled. It would have been nice for him to wear in the summer heat to cover himself yet at the same time keep himself cool. And then we also see that he was joyously living in splendor every day. This could almost be literally translated, having been feasting luxuriously every day. It describes his dietary habits. It was filet mignon, or fillet mignon if you're from Arkansas, every night on the dinner table. It was good stuff. He lived it up. But we're not told one thing about this man, and that is we're not told his name. I want you to remember that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. And then in verse 20, we're introduced to the second character in the story. He's a poor man. And instead of being told how he lived, we're first told his name, Lazarus. Just a name, common name during this day and time, no different than Bob or Jake. And this man, Lazarus, was laid at the rich man's gate. He was covered with sores. Now, him being laid at the rich man's gate could have occurred for any number of reasons. Maybe people didn't want to deal with him. Maybe people thought, well, this guy's rich, so maybe he'll help him out. And whatever the case, he's there. And you would think if he's there at a rich man's gate, surely the rich man would at least give him something out of the trash can when he goes to take his trash out on the curb on Wednesday morning, right? But he's laid at his gate we also find out that he's he's covered with sores maybe he was lame and he couldn't walk and he had bed sores from not being able to toss and turn maybe he was sick with some type of disease and his body was just being eaten away we don't really know but what we do know is this that he was longing to be fed with the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table don't think that there's a person in our sanctuary today that's been longing to eat the crumbs that have fallen off of the dinner table on Sunday nights. This guy was poor. He didn't have anything. He didn't have food. And then it says this, and this is really kind of a sad picture. I try not to laugh. I shouldn't, I don't guess. But I can't help it. Even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Stray dogs. He's walking up, licking his sores. And this wasn't like the friendly dogs that you see at the pet store and your wife goes, ooh, ah, over. These were the dogs that police officers shoot in the streets because they're afraid they're going to bite them, right? Man, we got a completely different set of circumstances. But then we find out that the poor man died, and it says he was carried away by angels to Abraham's bosom. That is, messengers from heaven, angels descending from God's throne room, coming and carrying him away to Abraham's bosom. Bosom in Scripture is a place of comfort and rest and peace. It's a place of intimate knowledge. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 18, we see that Jesus came from God, the one who is from the bosom of the Father, and he made himself known to us. That is, Jesus had intimate knowledge of his Father in heaven because he came from his Father's bosom. Later on in the, in the New Testament, we find that as people embrace one another, and even in the Old Testament, as they hug them, they bring them close into their chest. You guys saw me sitting down here with Branch for children's sermon time. What did I have him sitting in his lap, and his head was right here in my bosom, in my chest. Feels weird to say bosom, doesn't it? It's a place of comfort, a place of rest, a place of peace. The Jewish people would have understood this kind of like we understand heaven in our minds. A real paradise. I mean, after all, what could be better than dying and being carried away by heavenly messengers? The same messengers that guarded our ancestors as they marched through the wilderness and came into the promised land. The same kind of angels that were there to give us the law. The same kind of angels that were there to protect and watch over our people. How could this get any better? And then the angels carry him away to Abraham's bosom. Abraham, the patriarch, the respected and venerated hero, the father of the nation. What could be better than being embraced by Father Abraham? And then notice what it says about the rich man. He just simply died. He was buried. But then we find out from the rich man's perspective what death was like. In Hades, the realm of the dead, the grave, if you'd like to use the word hell, he lifted up his eyes and he was in torment. In fact, the the Greek noun that's used is plural, torments. It was awful. We don't know exactly all that was transpiring in this place, but we do know that it was no place you wanted to be. In fact, it was bad not only because of what he was going through himself, but because of what he saw the poor man getting to experience. He was able to peer up and see the place where Lazarus had gone. It was far away. It was just close enough to see, but too far for him to get there. And he cried out. I mean, can you imagine this? The guy who once had everything and needed nothing and needed no one, he cries out, Father Abraham, please just, just have mercy on me. I mean, could you imagine Rocky Balboa boxing somebody in the ring and then all of a sudden just falling to his knees and going, please stop, please stop. Please stop. This is the picture of the rich man. One person who had everything before, and now he's just crying out. Abraham, just please, look, I'm, I'm not asking for you to take me up there with you. Uh, all I need, just send Lazarus, that guy that I never gave any food to, sitting on my doorstep at the gate. Just send him down here, and he doesn't even have to bring me a whole glass. Just Just let him put the tip of his finger in some water just to cool off my tongue. This flame is horrendous. I'm in agony. I just need a little relief. That's rough, isn't it? I mean, this is why I I told you earlier, I don't want to see anybody go to a place like this. You probably don't either. But Abraham, the child, remember during your life, you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, he got bad things. But now he's being comforted and and you're in agony. Look, Abraham says, this is reality and this is how it is. There's a place of paradise and blessing. There's a place of punishment and torment. You are where you are because you wanted to be there. He is where he is because he wanted to be here. Say, Jake, nobody wants to go to hell, wants to go to a place of punishment. Well, there's probably a few weirdo people out there, kind of like the Joker from the Batman movies, that just, they love pain and suffering and they want to spend eternity separated from God in punishment and torment. But by and large, most people don't just say, I'd love to go to hell. People don't do that. People don't want to be in pain. People don't want to be in eternal torment and suffering and anguish and agony. But people do what they want to do, right? In fact, this is the tough reality. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, ultimately, there are only two types of persons. Those who tell the Lord on this earth, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in eternity, Thy will be done. In other words, you've gotten what you wanted. You didn't want to live under God's rule on earth. You don't have to live under His rule in hell. You didn't want to experience His blessing as you followed Him in obedience. So you don't get His blessing because you disobeyed. That's hard. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote in another place these words, I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful, rebels to the end, and that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. In other words, this rich man got what he wanted, life on his own, doing what he pleased. poor man, got to go to Abraham's bosom. And we not only find out that these two places were realities, but we find out that there was a great chasm that was fixed between the two. That is, there was no way for traffic to cross between these two places. Those who wished to come over from Abraham's bosom into Hades were not able to do so. Even if Lazarus wanted to, to take the tip of his finger and dip some cool water on this man's tongue. He couldn't. And none of those in the realm of the dead where this punishment was taking place were allowed to cross over from there and into paradise. We find that these places are real. We find that these places are fixed or eternal. And then we find out this next plea from the rich man And this is so difficult to hear. He said, then I beg you, Father, that you send in my father's house. Look, if Lazarus can't come here and give me some relief, then send him back from paradise into earth. Because I have five brothers. I want him to warn them so that they don't come to this place of torment like I am. If I can't get out of here and if I can't experience relief, would you just please do something for them? Abraham says something startling. They've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, God himself is already warning them. All of your brothers and all of mankind through the writings of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament. Let them listen. They've got ears. Let them hear. Rich man says, no, 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 no realizing that he himself had what? The law and the prophets. He didn't listen. He said, Abraham, look, if you'll just send somebody back from the dead, I know that when they see Lazarus and they remember this guy that I mistreated and they remember who I was, a person who loved money and wealth and material possessions more than the Lord, surely they'll repent. Surely they'll be transformed. Surely their minds will change and their hearts will be softened. Abraham said if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not even going to believe if somebody comes back from the dead. They'll claim that somebody put this person on a projection screen, that it was photoshopped, that it's a fake, that it's a farce, that something about it isn't real, isn't true. They won't believe still was the truth, was it not? In fact, what we find happens in the New Testament is this. There's a man who rises from the dead. Anybody know his name? Jesus. And you would think that Jesus, the one who offered forgiveness from God himself, the one who had displayed his power when he healed diseases and made the lame to walk and caused the blind to see, you would think that everybody would respond to this good news of Jesus by saying, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I've loved money more than God. Yeah, I've rejected these people and not loved them as God wanted me to. Yeah, I've done all these bad things in my life, but I want to be forgiven. I want to experience life abundant and eternal. You would think every single human heart would be saved and transformed, but yet that's not what happened. In fact, after Jesus rose from the grave, Many of those who disbelieved him got even more violent in their opposition to this gospel of Jesus Christ. He had risen from the dead. He had appeared to more than 500 people. But people thought he was a Christianity thing, this way movement. That's a load of garbage. A bunch of lies, a bunch of lunatics following this Jesus, saying he came back to life. Woo-hoo-hoo. but it was still true. Now here's why I want to leave you today. And it it's dangerous for a preacher to speculate, and that's what I'm about to do, and I'm going to admit it to you, okay? This kind of will fall into the same category of what did Jesus write on the ground when he took his finger and drew in the dirt in John chapter 8? But we know the poor man's name. What was his name? Lazarus, we, we don't have the rich man's name given here. I kind of wonder if some of these rich Pharisees knew some people who were rich and had died. I kind of wonder if maybe some of these Pharisees knew a rich man who had passed away and uh, he had a guy sitting at the front of his gate named Lazarus. I kind of wonder if maybe this rich man's five brothers might have been an earshot that day. Say, Jake, I don't know if I can go there. Man, that's, that's a pretty good stretch. Well, look, whether or not that's a stretch, this fact remains true. You are here today, and you've heard Jesus' story. you call hell. Whatever you think about it, whatever you've thought before, we know that there is a real place of punishment that awaits those who have not come to Jesus Christ in faith. In fact, some people want to hold on to their riches and material possessions and they don't want to give those things over and trust Jesus as Lord. And because of that, they'll spend eternity in this place of torment and punishment. Some people love this or that or so and so or this and this. Instead of the Lord and instead of repenting of their sins, even though they've heard the good news that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, they would choose to live their lives on their own terms. Because of that, they spend eternity separated from God, dying on their own terms. I have the heart of this rich guy. I know I do. For two reasons. Number one, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to paradise. But I thank God that he sent his son Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that he rose again so that when I believe in him, I get to go to paradise to be with the Lord when I die. But I also know I have this rich man's heart for this reason. I look out here, and I see your faces this morning. I'm glad I got to see you today. Man, I want to see you in eternity. I want to know that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to know that you're going to paradise with him. When I leave this church building and I go and walk back to my house and I pass people driving down 2nd Street and I look in through the windshield of their car, I want them to spend eternity separated from the Lord. They don't have to. Nobody has to. But sometimes people do. Many people do. It's because they haven't come to Jesus Christ.